Welcome to the Mystic Skeptic Radio Show and Podcast, the program in which we ask the tough questions and explore different alternatives to today's pressing issues, theories, or enigmas. Our show is devoted to the exploration of all things mystical, philosophical, scientific, political, conspiratorial, and cosmic. Join us in an exploration of the Mystic Skeptic Mindspace. It's always good to have uh, people from all over the world uh, visiting our show and sharing their, their wisdom. So now let's move on to uh, the coronavirus conspiracy. And Josh, I have to be uh, very honest with you. Um, I think what you're doing is great. I think that uh, educating people or uh, spreading uh, different ideas is fantastic. But uh, I, I like to debunk uh, conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. So we might have a, a little exchange that, uh, that might be a little tense, but it's, it's for the sake of truth. We're it's trying okay. to get to the bottom of this. So, I, have, I have three black belts, and I did a PhD in philosophy. There's many times in the pub when I was doing my master's degree, we'd be yelling at each other, spit coming out of our mouths, hitting the other guy's face, and be like, want another beer? Okay. We drink. <laughs> like, that's, that's what philosophers do, so it's, it's no problem at all. The, the only problem for this conversation is that I have nothing but theories. I have nothing but, but theories. I have no, I have no proof, right? Well, well, we were pulling at straws or, or making stuff up when the coronavirus started. I have a friend who's a medic with, in the military, mm-hmm. and him and I were trying to see if any other idea would stick because we had no clue how this would pan out. Now, five months into it, we're still struggling with it, and I yes. actually had a fallout with the – the, one of the founders of the show, my friend um, has been posting a lot of anti-mass, anti-coronavirus, uh, very um, far out stuff. And I love him. I respect him. But I've, I've had to challenge him on things. And, and I actually work at a hospital and we see um, people who have survived the coronavirus. So when people say that it is a hoax or that it's not real, there's, there's something that is hurting people and keeping them paralyzed for months at a time or putting them in a coma, not being able to breathe, not being able to interact with their families, not being able to see their loved ones once they get better because of the That's fear. That's not a hoax. So, um, yeah, the coronavirus so, is not a hoax. So it's a personal thing when, when I hear that, that it comes into question. Now, the idea of it coming from the wet market in Wuhan or the idea of it being a biological weapon or – or using whatever happened as, a, as an opportunity to destroy the Chinese economy, we can talk about that. Just, you know, we're, we're spreading the, the, the information because you know you can get shut down for just even questioning what's going on uh, in the sense of um, I heard that it was either YouTube or Facebook was actually deleting stuff that they consider a conspiracy theory. So mm-hmm. even talking about a conspiracy theory, not that you believe in it or you're willing to, like, Consider it now. That's at risk of being censored, as you use the term yeah. censored. So, let's start from well, the that, beginning. That's a great point, David. If I just go back to our previous conversation, and that's the other thing is you can't have Facebook and Google policing the truth. They're not equipped to police the truth. It makes them no money to police the truth. They have no interest in policing the truth. They have the interest in policing the narrative, but the narrative is not the truth. The narrative is what how they want to be perceived, right? But the problem is you can't have the government policing the truth either. They're equally as inept. They're equally as incapable. Philosophy in Plato is shown 2,000 years ago. The only protection, and, and I'll put it in a health context because you work at a hospital, the only immune system for the body politic to lies 
is education, is educating every person in that body politic to be as smart as possible, to be as resistant to bullshit as possible so that they don't elect dangerous demagogues on, on, on complete false lies, so they don't believe on, in spurious conspiracy, conspiracy theories. In, to the degree the population currently does. We are at peak stupidity. The, the human planet right now is at peak dumbness because our education has been watered down from decade to decade to decade to decade. And you know why? Take three guesses why I think the mega rich. The mega rich, it's, it's Bernaysian tactics 101 that if you, want to, if you want to brainwash someone, make them as dumb as possible so they cannot rationally think, do I really need this McDonald's or should I save my money? No, I'll get McDonald's, right? The dumber they are, the more irrational they are, the easier it is to sell to them. And that's why the mega rich has supported the dumbing down of education and the defunding of education through the U.S. and the rest of the world, quite frankly, uh, for ever since, the, again, the, the, before World War II or around the, the time of World War II, the time at the beginning of the 20th century. Let's, so, go, back, let's go back 30 years to, to China and how it has been developing into a world power. So yes. I've been hearing for, for years that they have the largest army, they have the people controlled and numbed down. Talk about uh, numbing down the population where uh, there's this thing, I don't know if it's true, I don't know if it's a stereotype that uh, people in that part of Asia are very servile and and um, they they kind of follow along with whatever the leader says. Uh, is that a true statement of what was happening 30 years ago and how it developed, or is those or is that part of the propaganda to dismiss the Chinese as a people? It's really hard because, it, it, to my knowledge, now I am no expert on Chinese culture, both ancient or modern. I've read a lot of ancient Chinese philosophy. I've read Lao Tzu, Confucius. Uh, Sun Tzu, the I Ching, uh, uh, two of my black belts are in Chinese martial arts. I love China, many parts of it, aspects of their philosophy. Um, I know about the Boxer Rebellion, and I know about the communist uh, uprising uh, in the degree of how they killed the martial artists. Uh, my, two of my martial arts almost died out in the Boxer Rebellion because the, the British were trying to kill them, and the communists were trying to kill them. They fled to Taiwan. Uh, and so I, um, your characterization of China 30 years ago, I think probably is not too far off the mark, in my opinion. Uh, uh, but again, China is, is, is complicated in that there's many pockets of, of, high, uh, of, of, of high philosophy and there's pockets of very impoverished areas. But there's a lot of impoverished areas, I think. So, so yeah, I'd say probably that's probably the case 30 years ago, sure. They, so, do have, they do have the most uh, personnel, I believe, more than India. Uh, to my knowledge, and I've studied this a little bit, uh, their fighting capabilities in terms of weapon technology, even to this day, are not great, except for their Navy, which is becoming more and more uh, advanced by the second in this Cold War. But uh, they were still using uh, World War II-style uh, weapons and tanks uh, uh, and uh, World War II-style of fighting uh, 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 up until quite recently, as far as I understand. So I only went back 30 years, but we, we really have to go like 50 years to the time of uh, Nixon going to China, and we dance with dictators. We, the dictators that are willing to work with us, we're willing to tolerate. So to me, that's ridiculous. If you're going to be uh, attacking communists in Guatemala and in Russia and in the U.S., everybody who's a communist needs to go 
why would you go become friends with the biggest communist country and and try to um, make it work over there? And then were they thinking that they were going to, you know, people don't know that Germany used to be a big um, importer of movies, of products. So that was one of the reasons the U.S. didn't want to get involved in the war against Hitler because they were going to lose one of their commercial interests. Is yes. that what America was preparing for, trying to build bridges with China even before yes. the boom of, of products? Yes. So you read the book, Confessions of an Economic Hitman. It's a brilliant read. It shows you how uh, America has, I think, in many ways justifiably decided to wage economic war uh, in the world, cold economic wars in the world ever since World War II to make sure that they are the economic powerhouse and the, the nation with the most money. It's Confessions of an Economic Hitman. Uh, that same author has written a lot of tribalism stuff and a lot of weird voodoo stuff. Ignore that. His Confessions of an Economic Hitman book very clearly shows how America will identify uh, a, a country that they can make them rich or help make them rich with resources, either human resources or, or natural resources. They will set up agreements with the rich families that run those countries, and they will set up agreements that benefit those rich families, but screw over the country so the country stays impoverished, and that's how they keep those families under their thumb. So that's exactly what they did to China. They decided to realize China could be a manufacturing hub for them to be very cheap, and so that was the plan all along, yeah. Well, I was very sad when uh, uh, John Stewart was saying that NAFTA was really good for Mexico when he had Bill Clinton on. And being a, a, a native Mexican, knowing that it was very good for the rich families and for the government, but it was horrible for people. And I've actually met people who are indigenous Mexicans, people that we never even met when we lived in Mexico, here in the U.S. trying to survive because the whole economic system based on farming and cattle ranching was destroyed. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that's been happening everywhere. But I always tell people that my view of America is that they're opportunistic, that whenever you have an Oliver Stone or somebody create this cabal or this evil empire, um, like, perspective, it, it, um, it takes away from the opportunities that America has to change and to turn into what it could be. Yes. If it is the Roman Empire, then like there's nothing we can do like the the military and the oligarchs in power are, are going to destroy everybody and, and it's going to implode but if it is a democratic uh ideal of the republic then yeah. there's still a little bit of hope to work I, I i always say this you have to go back and read machiavelli's the prince and i tell my left-wing friends you'll never get rid of the right wing the right wing doesn't disappear Right? You can't tell everyone to be, have empathy and be nice to everybody and then be progressive. And then the right wing goes, oh, we were wrong the whole time. Okay. And then they're not going to join your side. That doesn't happen. Same thing I say, I tell the right to the left. I say the left doesn't disappear. People with empathy and, and feeling that things should progress are never going to go away. The same thing, you've got to learn to talk to each other. The same thing is that Machiavelli showed very clearly in The Prince. The rich never goes away you will always have the great and you have the many to use his terminology or you always have the strong and the weak to use Nietzsche's terminology you always have the rich and the poor that never goes away and can never be changed right what you need to do is you need to have a social contract you need to have an agreement between those two groups that yeah okay we the horde who consume the many 
the mostly the progressives are going to allow you the the angry the the rich the right wing the conservatives the uh, the aggressive the ambitious will allow you to be ambitious and play your money games as long as we get to have a better life than you know our children get to have a better life than we do and our life expectancy goes up over time and not down that's the agreement right that's the un- unspoken agreement from the last thousand years since Machiavelli wrote, wrote the prince the problem is right now the mega rich are not allowing the agreement right our life expectancy is going down our children are going to have worse lives than us because of climate change much much worse actually when you look into the science so so you can't get rid of the rich the french revolution you know was a little blip that you know it was nothing it was nothing all the really rich people knew what they're doing they just rode away waited for the cool down they rode back in like it, it was a, it was a nothing burger right you can't get rid of the rich. You can't get rid of the ambitious. You can't get rid of the progressives. You can't get rid of the whiny saps. We have to live with each other and talk to each other. And so, so in terms of how do you solve it, there has to be an agreement. And that, that agreement can only be controlled by government, which has to be a super sanct and away from both groups, both sides. So tell us about your, your theories about the coronavirus and how it came about and how it's affecting American and worldwide um, economy. I, I, I hate to put it in economic terms. Uh, at first, you know, talking about progressive values, you want to talk about people, you want to talk about protecting people, but then all my conservative friends were always bringing up, uh, you can't destroy the economy to protect the people. So uh, give us your, your perspective on, on how you make sense of all that. Well, I'd like to first say I have right-wing friends as well. I have a friend who owns a small business. He owns a restaurant. And he thought Trump was a great guy uh, and it was a good idea because a businessman would run it differently. And he, 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 he believed that bullshit, right? Um, he couldn't see Trump for the used car salesman that he is. He said, he's a con man, plain and simple. I sold cars for a summer when I was doing my PhD because I needed money. And Trump reminds me of every single other car salesman on that lot, right? Um, but anyway... Um, what is the economy? What is it? People keep saying, you can't hurt the economy. Yeah, you can. What is the economy? The economy is an abstraction. All it is is the money you would have made if it was business as usual. No one's losing any money. You're just not selling, right? You're losing money from the perspective that you thought you were going to make four grand this month, but now you only made one grand because there's nobody around or shopping at your restaurant. Now, I fully admit, it will make some small businesses go under. It will hurt a lot of people. But uh, becoming economically disenfranchised is not as bad as being dead. Murder Trump's sadness because you lost your business, in my opinion. I don't know. You work at a hospital. Maybe you see it the same way. Maybe you don't. But people's health is more important, right? When you have neurological diseases because you got corona, and you know very well that there's lasting There can be lasting symptoms for being infected with corona. You know very well if you work at a hospital. It's not the flu. It's not, it's not just something that's easy you can, get over, uh, uh, you can get rid of, right? Not always. For some people it is. For some people it's not. So I, in my opinion, the, the argument that the right says, well, the, the economy is the most important thing. No, it's not. One. Two. Lives are more important, uh, quite frankly. Uh, and that, that's, for me, that's where the argument ends. And so... Yeah, everybody should have hunkered down. Yeah, plenty of businesses should, would be destroyed. It's a pandemic. It's like war. 
It's like pestilence, these, these big Bible things that happens to the species. It's a bad deal. And so that's the, the economy was always going to lose. The economy was always going to lose to uh, the coronavirus, no matter what you did to it. And uh, at least we could have saved a whole bunch of lives. So what were you saying in our previous conversation about how it has become um, paranoia? Oh, uh, the, uh, well, so here's my conspiracy theory. I find it awfully convenient when the coronavirus came out because I had just seen an article a week before talking about how, how China was positioned to overtake Amazon as the world's uh, importer exporter to direct to consumer, right? They're doing business to business. They're going to do business to consumer and they were going to become very, very rich. And because that China was going to become very, very powerful, right? A week before coronavirus, uh, like, like in early February, Late February, uh, now, uh, no, no, uh, no, even 2019 is when I saw that. And then, then this coronavirus thing comes out. I think it's awfully convenient how the coronavirus hurt China, which was uh, America's greatest threat, arguably, militarily, in the, next, in the foreseeable future. It hurt Iran tremendously, which is America's, uh, another great threat to America and Israel. Uh, the two might be related, the two might not be related, right? It could have been naturally released here, and then some country surreptitiously released it here. Uh, so I found that awfully convenient how it did those things. It impoverished China in exactly the perfect way that they needed China to be impoverished, not to become this uh, uh, mega nation that could rival the United States. Um, the argument that it's not, that it cannot be human created, I do not buy the three arguments that they give. Uh, let's see if from memory I can do it. I could try to find it in Google here. But they say that... Um, uh, one of the arguments of the reason why they say that that coronavirus couldn't have been, been human created was that it's just too perfect. It latches onto cells and digs in. It's called coronavirus because the corona of the crown, because it has these spiky, spiky ridges that allows it to penetrate a cell so effectively, inject its RNA and make the cell a warehouse to produce more coronavirus. That's how it works, right? That's why it's called coronavirus. They said it's too perfect. That, that pointy thing is, is, is perfect to injecting into a human cell. And they say, if anyone was making it uh, and wanted to keep, make it look like it wasn't human-made, they would have made it less perfect. What? That argument doesn't follow, right? Maybe they made it really efficient because they wanted to. That's the, that's the dumbest counter-argument I've ever heard. That's like saying he couldn't have stabbed him with the knife and had to use the spoon because the knife would have been too efficient and it would have been too obvious. People get stabbed with knives all the time, right? right? That, that, that thinking doesn't, doesn't follow. Uh, the other two arguments, uh, one of them, I believe, if I recall correctly, is that we can see that there are similar genetic structures in bats. And so we infer from this that the coronavirus came from bats. I didn't deny it came from bats. Ever heard of CRISPR? They're using CRISPR right now to mo genetically modify the next generation of mosquitoes. Not the mosquitoes they're modifying, but the offspring of the mosquitoes to have certain genetic traits like not being able to procreate. So and that's how they're killing off the mosquitoes in, in areas, if you watch the documentary. There's no reason why you can't take CRISPR and infect a bat, and then the next generation of bats spits out coronavirus. There's no reason why that can't be the case. So any of the arguments that, the, that, that I've seen publicly released 
and then rehashed again and again and again as to why the coronavirus has to be natural and cannot be man-made are very weak arguments at best. And so uh, that, plus the fact that it was awfully convenient when it came out and awfully convenient the countries that it, it, it impoverished, uh, I, find, I, find, I find suspicious. So who would benefit the most from releasing a biological weapon like that? Well, America would benefit uh, a lot because China was hit and Ira Iran was hit. Israel would also benefit, the Western world generally. Uh, yes, small businesses would lose a little bit of money, but the mega-rich don't, don't suffer market drops. The mega-rich cause market drops. They don't suffer market drops. So the mega-rich in, in the West would, would not be harmed in any way, shape, or form. What do you think about the tactic of bailing out the mega-rich to keep the economy going? Um, That's a brilliant strategy by the mega-rich. Uh, it's like the banks getting bailouts. It's a brilliant strategy. It's like, oh, yeah, um, we, we drove the economy into the ground by selling fake mortgages, and so now we need to be bailed out. It's kind of like the murderer saying, now you need to let me out of jail so I can go murder more people. It, it makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, from does it actually work? Does it, like, because is it trickle-down economics that, that are proven not to work? Is that what they're trying to do? Because if you gave money to the people, then the people would buy more stuff and they would keep the, the rulers in power. Why would they do it the other way? Trickle-down economics does work. The problem is, is that uh, what the founding fathers never saw and these older conservatives could never understand is that it doesn't stop at the border. Trickle-down economics flows down to the lowest point, the poorest countries. That's why everything's being outsourced to India and to, to the Philippines. So trickle-down, it doesn't, it doesn't stay in the country. It trickles out of the country to the poorest parts of the world. And that's actually kind of a good thing, right? Now the third world gets the benefit from some of this first world money that they are oppressed and, and uh, uh, I forget the adjective right now, they are oppressed and hurt by the, 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 the first world. The first world uses the second and third world and so at least this, and dumps their garbage there in pollution. At least the second and third world gets a little bit of the trickle down from it. But let's the first talk, world does not. Let's talk about that because um, the maquiladoras in Ciudad Juarez are run by mobsters and the women there are being brutally murdered and raped. So the money is being used in Mexico to produce cheap products for the U.S., but then the people are suffering, and I guess it would be the same with China. The people say, oh, well, we're supporting China by buying crap from Walmart. Yeah, but they have concentration camps with the Uyghurs making the products that we buy here. So it's just we either support the corrupt people here or the corrupt people over there who exploit the masses. Mm -hmm. So... We're just going in circles. Like, that's right. Uh, but back that's, to the issue. That's why that's the wrong argument. And that's the argument the rich wants us to have, right? The mega rich gives us this bullcrap argument. Well, if you don't like it, don't shop here. They know very well that it's not an effective strategy to stop them. So that's why they give us that argument. The real argument that they're terrified of is get money out of politics. That they're terrified of, right? They cannot get money out of politics. And then the politicians will actually make real laws to actually protect people, that's the only way. Strong government is the only way of protecting people. It is the only way. Well, tell us about Canada because uh, when, when I first watched Michael Moore uh, show how fantastic Canada was or how fantastic Cuba was, 
it, it made me think that he was from there. Like, I didn't even think he was from Flint, Michigan. So what did the, the Canadians do to not let it get like that? And what are your criticisms of Canada as they are now? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my beloved country of Canada. Um, <laughs> uh, well, It's very interesting because definitely the start of Canada was the same old story. It was the Hudson's Bay Company trying to become mega rich with the fur trade, uh, killing the indigenous people, enslaving them, killing them, raping them, destroying them. Uh, but there was a, a war between the French and the English. And uh, a war that's never really fully ended. The last terrorist action we had for, from the Federation Liberation de Quebec was in the 70s when I was born. So it's not that old. Uh, and the Quebecois still can get a little angry at Langlaise, at us uh, uh, perceived English-speaking Westerners, Western Canadians. Uh, they still get a little uppity uh, when, when I go to Montreal and I don't speak French because I don't speak it very well, as you could tell by my accent. Uh, uh, and so, 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 so there's still some tension there. But see, the thing about Canada, and I, it's going to sound like a joke, but I actually mean this seriously. We know who the enemy is. The enemy is winter. A bitter, cold winter that lasts eight months a year. Uh, and really, it really does keep us on the same side, to tell you the truth. That's the only reason why I can, I, I can think that, and there's, not, there's, there's money up here. There's tons, of, there's tons of natural resources, tons of natural resources in Canada. We're one of the richest countries on the planet for natural resources. But we don't have the same mega rich the way America does. Because our just have a no-nonsense kind of British parliamentary system um, that is, is, had been abused too much of wars between the French and the, and the English and colonialization and past, uh, past abuses of the mega-rich that we just decided to make a government and stick to it. Now, of course, it can be eroded. That can be destroyed. Um, uh, but uh, it, it's another thing that Canada has is we have small brother, little brother syndrome. Do you know what little, little brother syndrome is? Like be looking up to the U.S.? Or exactly. We, we hate the U.S. We almost despise the U.S. Because they're a big braggadocious, big brother that's always throwing their weight around and uh, making fun of us quite a lot, which we're getting more and more angry about. And uh, uh, we, 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 we secretly don't like the U.S. very much. <laughs> so, so you have a bunch of Canadians in a room, we'll start telling uh, American jokes, right? So it's, it's because it's largely not because we're virtuous, not because we're good, good. We're not bad, but it's just because we don't want to be that guy. You know, we don't want to see Like imagine a party in America is like, Hey, honey, you want to come home with me? You know, and then knocking things over and being, being America in the party. We're not, we're not, we're not being so good because we want to be good. We just basically don't want to be that. So, so we're being virtuous for the wrong reasons, if that makes sense. Uh, that's really my, my opinion of my own country and my own country people. Uh, yeah, it'll change. Uh, climate change is going to make Canada the new United States in terms of, uh, in terms of climate uh, in 30, 50 years. Uh, and so, so we're going to be the nice place on the planet to live pretty soon. Uh, most of America is going to be uninhabitable. Uh, and uh, you guys are going to move up. It'll be like us take, it's like America keeping the Mexicans out. We're going to keep the Americans out until, of course, uh, the U.S. will buy Canada and we'll be some kind of 
some kind of conjoined country like U.S. can or something like that. Have you heard about that conspiracy theory of Mexico, um, the U.S. and Canada becoming one country? Oh, it's not a conspiracy theory. They tried it. Bush tried it. Bush drew up, drew up the documents. They had a website about it. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't a secret. Well, yeah, but it's impossible because I know how nationalistic uh, Mexicans are. And, they would, um, and the U.S. does not want a bunch of people who are um, mestizos or indigenous so unless they kill the population. That matter, Mexico, yeah, yeah uh, and that's why it failed. <laughs> right. They had the idea to make a uh, U.S.-Canada-Mexico union to combat uh, the European Union when the, when the European Union was formed under W. Bush. Uh, but it, it fell through. I don't know why it fell through, but those are some of the obvious reasons. Well, back to the coronavirus. So how did uh, Canada respond, and was that the right response? Because, again, if um, you said that, that life is better than – than, than money, but if you have, um, if all the infrastructure falls apart because of lack of, of work and, and ability for people to travel and stuff like that, how can you keep um, a country uh, safe or um, going? Did, did Canada um, lock down at the right time for long enough to now slowly open it up, or are they still kind of struggling like the U.S., like yes and no, and we, they still don't understand the virus, and then only so many people are going to die. Like, are, are they having the, the – it's almost like a, like a crisis because of not knowing how to address the issue. Yes. Ignorance is always the worst crisis. Lack of education is always the single most worst human sin. Every human problem can be solved by education, every single one. And so a lack of education is when people die, is when societies die, is when countries die. If the Romans knew that the barbarians coming over the hill had a strong enough army to, to destroy them, they would have made different, they wouldn't have been so weak in the first place, right? They would have got, gotten their shit together and stopped fighting amongst themselves to be able to take on their enemies. That's, the, that's where the West is right now. We're so weak from fighting amongst ourselves that climate change is going to destroy us largely. It's going to kill billions of people on the planet. So to answer your question, um, Canada right now is okay for, for, for COVID. Um, uh, there's, there's, there's hot spots, of course. Uh, but yeah, we, we did the right thing in clamping down. Uh, we could clamp down longer. Um, but like you said, there's a lot of uh, misinformation and, and un- unknowns there. They thought maybe it's time to, to give it a try. Uh, um, uh, it, it, it's tough. It's very hard. It, it's, it's, it's like people complaining about the economy being hit right now or like people complaining that war, it's like people complaining in Germany that the war is going on and they can't sell their biscuits. Yeah, well, the war is going on. It's terrible. It should never have happened, but that's what's going on. We're in a, we're in a human calamity. We are living now in cal- calamitous times. No, you don't get to have your white picket fence. I'm sorry. That was never guaranteed by God, if such a thing exists, or by the government, or by human rights, or by anything. You don't. Every generation is not just assured their white picket fence and their nice life. Every generation has to fight for it. And the rules of the game change every generation. This generation is going to have a pandemic. Next generation is going to have climate apocalypse. Right? Everyone... Everyone's forgotten about change. Imagine three COVIDs going at once 
and wildfires and tornadoes and groundwater destroying the rest of the country. That's what's going to be happening in the next 30 to 50 years. Do you think that people that say that the encroachment of the, um, of the jungles in, in Asia could have caused the, the COVID pandemic, that that's part of the climate change issue, that the, um, the larger populations, the lack of, of respect for nature uh, could bring about illnesses coming out of the woods in a sense? No, I, I don't subscribe to that at all. It really seems pretty clear that the coronavirus did come from bats or was, was evolved in bats. That doesn't mean there wasn't a human hand in there, by the way. But it definitely seemed to have come from the wet markets in Wuhan, China. Other viruses have. So is that a respect for nature? I, I wouldn't call it that. It's just that people don't realize cause and effect. And they don't realize how small the planet is. The planet is so small. The planet is tiny, 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 tiny. And it, it can, it is easy for one person on this side of the planet to screw things up for somebody on this side of the planet if they're not careful. We, we, our technology is, is advanced enough now that one person in a CRISPR lab in Turkey, for example, could destroy the world and, and limit the population by billions around the entire planet. Our technology is that powerful now. Part of the reason why I don't think we see so many intelligent species out there in the cosmos is because of that fact, is that as your technology, as your technological prowess increases, so too must your wisdom. If your wisdom doesn't increase with your technological prowess, one disgruntled alien can wipe the whole thing out. What about, um, do you support the idea of uh, herd immunity? Because it seems like the right, like, hung on that, and they're like, well, we're all going to get it anyway, and we're going to see who makes it out. And I, I used the term, and my friend corrected me, that uh, I see it as, like, natural eugenics. If you say, let everybody get it, and we'll see what happens, and usually you are the healthy one saying that. You're not the one with the uh, immune uh, deficiency or the one with uh, elderly diabetes or things like that. And you're like, well, you know, stuff happens. Some people are going to make it then you become a, a nihilist like uh, Nietzsche. And what stops us from going the next level and just doing real eugenics so we have enough resources for everyone? I would answer that argument, uh, let everyone get it and just sort it out. I would ask, why have a medical system at all then? Right, it's inhumane. That's the reason why. It's inhumane. You work at a hospital, you know, everybody lying in that bed wants to be helped. And they desperately want that nurse to come over and that doctor to come over and to figure it out and help them, right? It's inhumane to say, it's the purge. Okay, we'll just see who lives. As soon as your, your child or your loved one gets sick, you will change your fucking tune. So it's very inhumane and it pisses me off. Inhumane, short-sighted, imbecilic. Okay, so let's talk about libertarians because... To me, a libertarian is a closet Republican who's truly an anarchist. So if you wanted just to all go to hell, uh, would you agree with that, that characterization? Yeah, no, I don't like libertarians much. I, I, part of me wants libertarianism. I, I occasionally have thought to myself, why are drugs restricted? Why not have every drug available on the market and everyone can self-medicate? Because sometimes in Canada, it's difficult for me to get my meds or to get the, the meds that I want. The gatekeepers are the doctors. But at the same time, 
yeah, the gatekeepers should be the doctors, right? And it's like, but the problem is that they're keeping a lot of people from ODing and hurting themselves, but in, in at least in America and Canada too, well, if they want to get the opiates, they can get the opiates somewhere else and, and, and they can kill, it, kill themselves. So that's a, that's a tough one, but no, I generally, I generally don't agree with libertarians. It's not, it's not a proven moral philosophy. It's not, it's not a true moral philosophy. Just because there's been consent doesn't make it good. Just because, just because uh, you know, freedom is, is a practical concern. It's not a moral uh, ultimatum. It's not a moral truth. Um, you need enough freedoms to seek your good life. Why? Because it's the good life. Why do you want your good life? Because it's good. That's the moral truth. Freedom is only a tool to get it. But everyone can't be completely free until we're fully educated and wise. If we were fully wise and educated people, everything could be free because no one would hurt each other. Why would they? They're wise. Right? It's only when lack of education comes in and lack of uh, lack of resources, uh, access to resources, then we have, as Hobbes said, the war of all against all. And then you need what he called the Leviathan, which is government, which needs to control everything because we're too dumb to self-regulate in a natural, wise way. So what about the people that uh, use Holmes' perspective that everybody's wicked and everybody's um, like insufficient and that that's why we have to protect ourselves and we have to... Like, is, is the whole, like, it seems like the Canadians are, are Hobbes and the uh, Americans are, are Holmes when it comes down to the debate over hu human nature. What would you think about that? Yeah, that's interesting. So, yeah. There's some, there's a lot, there's some truth to that. There's some truth to that. Uh, I, I heard another professor tell me that Americans are Locke, John Locke, and Canadians are Thomas Hobbes. Um, there's, there's definitely some truth to that, some underpinning of that in our legal systems, I think, and in our, the philosophies behind our legal systems. I just, I'm more of a Platonist, uh, and it comes down to people, yes, people uneducated are the war of all against all. There's, there's, there's and he got this from the Comitians, which were the Egyptians, right? Uh, you want to talk about conspiracy theories. I think Egypt is far, far older than what the scientists say. I think it's 100,000 years old, but that's a whole other show. Um, um, you have people who are fully educated who fully understand everything, how it works. Like Bruce Lee, he's a martial artist. He understands how it works. He can make up forms on the fly. Like, uh, like Jimi Hendrix, he knows how music works. He can improvise on his guitar beautifully, right? And then the next class of people down are not educated as well. They're not as genius. And they need scales to play because they can't figure it out. They need a kata to do in class because they can't improvise because they don't understand it as well, right? And then the next class down from there, as Plato said, is the people who say, screw it. I don't want to be excellent. I just want to make money. It's the oligarchs. And then the, the children of the oligarchs is the hippies, the Democrats, the left-wing people who want to just screw making money. Let's just have sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And then the final people down from sex, drugs, and rock and roll, that chaos of Everyone, there's just a, there's, there's anarchy and there's no rules. The, the, the descent from there is tyranny, is, is Nazi marching people who realize that they're all weak. I'm the strong. We're going to rule all of you because you suck for whatever reason, with whatever argument, uh, uh, justifiably so, for, for originally for, for good reasons or, or for not good reasons. 
it devolves, every anarchy devolves into tyranny, right? That's what the rules were made to, to begin with, to control the, from other people becoming tyrants. So there's, there's no avoiding it. And, and Plato was pretty clear, and I agree, and the last 2,500 years shows. You need strong government. It has to be fair. It has to be efficient. Uh, it cannot be corruptible because the, uh, societies get destroyed. We haven't figured out how to do that yet. I have a solution to that. Uh, uh, but we haven't figured out how to fix that yet. Uh, all of our current governments are being destroyed by the mega rich. That's always how they're destroyed, by the way. Uh, and, uh, and they have to inc- incorporate the, the rights for people. They have to maintain the social contract between the great, strong, rich, the few, and the, 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 the few that, uh, that uh, hoard, the money addicts who hoard, and the, the, the horde that consumes us, the many. Uh, and the government always has to police the, the relationship between those two, or the society fails, burn it to the ground, try another one, reboot. And Take every it. society in, in human history has gone, gone through that path, gone, gone by that exact, that exact loop. Tell us your solution because I see uh, the U.S. is demoting itself into uh, a Brazil or a Mexico where the, the lines are, are so blurred between the corrupt uh, politicians, the corrupt um, authorities, the corrupt um, like rich individuals, and the criminal um, enterprises. And you know, before they kind of, you know when Bobby Kennedy was trying to get rid of all the mobsters, you could mm-hmm. see that there was a tension between the government and the criminal uh, organizations. Now it seems like there's, there's uh, interpolization. Um, so, so what is your solution? Education. Education is always the solution for, for humankind. And I'm not the one who said it. Plato said it. Education is always a solution for humankind. We need to control education at all levels, including media, more podcasts like this need to go out where people are talking the truth and telling what's going on. And that needs to be multiplied times a million. And uh, uh, that needs to be put on TV more. needs to be put on the movies more. It needs to be education. Our education system needs to be strengthened. People need to become wiser and read and watch wiser stuff and become wiser. And they need to be, they need to be trained. Uh, I, uh, I wrote in a book called The Zombies, that there is, there's one single thing that, that, that changes it between tyranny, uh, uh, anarchy, and the purge, or, or an ordered government, and that's your moral concept. The moral concept is that one database in every human being that changes the decisions that they make, and nothing changes their decisions more than that moral concept. Uh, I deny Freud entirely that it's all completely uh, irrational emotions, it's only completely irrational emotions if, as Plato said 2,500 years before Freud, they're not educated. The more you educate someone, the more rational they are, right? So we need to educate for rationality and for wisdom. We need to educate them to what the good is, to what the ideal is, to what's optimal. We need to educate them to science, to the way things really work. And that education needs to go out in all forms of education, from movies to TV to music to book learning, to education, to every conversation everyone has, to every podcast, the whole spectrum of media that people consume, the whole spectrum of words that people consume needs to be shifted in that dial and moved in that direction as much as possible and as fast as possible. It's a race. It's a race between us doing this and the mega rich destroying the house, selling the bricks that we're in while the house is falling down around us 
and climate change destroys us all. Tell us about the success you've had with your uh, YouTube channel and your podcast, spreading your message. And then um, if you, not to toot our own horn, like what, what podcasts have you reached out to and to try to promote your documentary and why did you choose us? Uh, uh, so um, I have uh, two podcasts going right now, Comic versus Philosopher. Uh, we're having uh, Colin Mockery on next week, actually. Uh, we'll it, and then in a few weeks, it'll show up on Buzzsprout. So, so I've, I'm getting a pretty successful comedy show where I slip in little bits of philosophy and they make jokes about it, but I slip in philosophy. So that's one way to get past sleeping dragons, to use the Lewis quote. Um, I also have my own system of meditation that I created called Bach Meditation that I mentioned earlier on. So you can see Comic versus Philosopher to search in Google. You can see Bach Meditation or Hack Your Brain Through Meditation, Josh Paczynski. Search my name, B-A-C-H-Y-N-S-K-I. Uh, you can find it there. And I go, to, I go on every podcast I can. Sorry, David, it's not very flattering. I go on your podcast. Any podcast that will respond to me, I'll go on their podcast so I can talk because you know the reason why. I've already said it because education is the only solution. Information, the truth, is the only solution to this problem. Uh, we have no other power. And they haven't quite killed truth yet. They're very close, but they haven't quite killed it yet. And so we need to keep her alive and we need to, we need to put her armor on and we need to get her out there and fighting the good fight. So I'll go on any podcast that'll let me ramble on for as long as you have. And uh, thank you very much. And uh, definitely I hope folks uh, will go to uh, Comic versus Philosopher if you want more of a comedic uh, aspect or Bach Meditation if you want to learn some of the really incredible tricks I've learned on how to hack your brain to, to, uh, to improve anxiety, to improve depression, to improve emotions, to improve cognition, to become a smarter, to become physically stronger, faster, better. I have really amazing hacks I've learned through 30 years of martial arts and, and uh, my whole life of, of reading Western philosophy. I've taken them. Also, my, my uh, PhD we talked about is in neuroscience uh, and psychology and philosophy. So I've taken all the tricks of neuroscience and psychology. I've put it all together in one powerful meditative system. And that's at uh, bit.ly slash Bach meditation, B-A-C-H meditation, all lowercase. Tell us about the SEO science show. Um, Has that gotten much traction? Uh, The SEO science show used to have a lot of traction. I used, that was my probably most successful show. I have 15,000 subscribers or something like that. 16,000 subscribers on my YouTube channel. That's um, I'm keeping it more on the down low now because now that I'm directly reverse engineering Google's algorithms, uh, Google doesn't like that. They get very angry. The mega rich do when you try to chip away at their, uh, their uh, castles in the sky they've built. So uh, I, uh, like Prometheus, I'm being very quiet. And when I'm chipping away to try to find fire for everyone, or they will put me on the rock and have the ego eat my liver out for the rest of eternity. So for young podcasters who are trying to get more um, – more people um, coming through and, and more, what's the word that, that is used? Um, so you put yourself out there in the market uh, field of ideas and you want to get more traction, you want to get more visibility. Uh, is YouTube even a, a, a good thing to use anymore is, uh, since it's been bought off? Like, should we not waste our time doing videocasts or is that an important platform? It doesn't matter what you use. It doesn't matter what platform you use. If you... It doesn't really matter what platform you use. It, the idea you have is what matters. So you need to have an idea that is innovative. Innovative, innovative, creative, something creative, something people haven't seen before or they haven't seen for a while 
or do it in a slightly different way that someone else is doing it. So for example, I was thinking, um, I already have one comedy podcast, Comic versus Philosopher, and I'm a philosopher myself and I want to get philosophy out. So I'm not really in the business of making more podcasts because uh, I'm also very busy. But I thought another really good podcast idea was for two comedians to, uh, to uh, look at the jokes of other comedians and dissect those jokes uh, and then say why those jokes are funny or not funny and then make your own jokes based on those jokes. I thought that's, like, that's called curating content, but it's funny, right? So I thought that'd be a really good way to, to uh, if you're a comedian, to borrow the work of somebody else, but do it in a legitimate way in that we're looking at, this is full credit, this was whoever. This is Jerry Seinfeld who said this, here's the joke, blah, 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 blah. Here's the setup, here's the punchline. Okay, wow, haha, that was funny. So then you get 30 seconds of Jerry Seinfeld on your show, his brilliance, but then you guys get to poke at it and pick at it. So you gotta be creative. I've, I've failed a 500 times. I've tried 500 different shows. And, and, and uh, you know, you just gotta keep trying. You just keep trying and 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 trying until you come up with something creative enough that has the legs and it can work and then you you have a good relationship with whoever you're doing it with and then you then you just you just do it it's there's a lot of uh, noise out there though and uh it will take it'll take time it'll take um it'll take creative ideas uh be on the forefront of technology uh realize what's going on out there what what the new trends are I should have been all over TikTok. I should have been, I should have been right there. I should have been all over Twitch, uh, but it's it's too saturated now uh, for my my Twitch idea. I'll, I'll give you my Twitch idea too. So I have I have three black belts, right? And I, I spar uh, every week. And so I thought, and I'm I'm 45. I got a bit of a pop belly. I'm getting older, you know. I thought, wouldn't it be funny if I dressed up in a Batman costume and pretended I was Batman and had a Twitch stream, fat old Batman fights. And then so I'll go and spar every week. I'll go spar somebody. And, but the person I'm sparring doesn't know it's the joke, right? So I'll be like, I'm Batman. Uh, are we sparring now? Yeah, let's spar. And then I'll bow. He'll bow. And he'll be like, okay. And so we'll do jujitsu. We'll do whatever. And he might win. I might win. But, but it's, but it's going to be hilarious, right? And I'll be like, Ugh. I'll be so tired. I'll be sweating to death. So I thought that would be another funny thing that would get a lot of views is fat fat old Batman sparring with some kid in like a jiu-jitsu class somewhere, you know? And then every week I'd fight someone new. I'd fight Bontoak guys and Eskrima guys, and I'd fight Kung Fu guys. I'd fight karate guys. Sometimes I'd get my ass handed to me. Sometimes I would win. And so I thought that was another funny idea. So if you know some martial arts and if you're old and fat like me, <laughs> that would be a funny thing to do. So you got to think of, you got to think of what's funny, what's sexy, what's, what's going to get the eyeballs, right? You got to think of, you got to think of what's going to get the eyeballs. Uh, what, what people like. They like funny, they like sexy, they like serious, they like emotions. Uh, you got to get stuff like that. And then you got to think of a creative way to, to do it. If you don't have a creative idea, whether, whether the, the market's saturated or not, you're not, you're not going to get through. Last question. Um, have you heard of the three rules for a successful uh, show? Like I have a friend who's a marketer and he says that you have to have a, a personality or someone who's famous or the people like. And then the other one is you have to sell a product or something that like a niche market. And I can't remember what the third one was, but have you heard of that, of following those rules? Or do you think that we need to break away from those rules and kind of, like you said, find the, the unique thing that it is going to stick and that, that becomes um, picked up by people and that people will like? Yeah, I mean, 
that's a good general rule of thumb. You generally need to be a friendly person with charisma. That's how my YouTube show worked is that I, not to toot my own horn, but I have some charm and some charisma and some people liked me as a personality. And that's how I built it up to 16,000 subscribers. But I was very niche. It was for my, it was for SEO or it was built for my niche. Um, that's how Comic versus Philosopher is, is working pretty well because Phil, my co-host, is a very charming, funny guy. I try to be. But it's not necessary. You could be a complete jerk and no one likes you, but they like tuning in to see you tear into somebody else. Or, or Chris Wallace on Fox News, I don't think has the most charisma, but people like to watch him because he tells the truth and he's pretty balanced. He's pretty even keeled right in the middle of right and left. And he'll call both sides out and people like that, I think. So, so no, you got to know what people like, right? There's plenty of pretty girls on Instagram that have no personality whatsoever, but they got boobs or they're really good looking and they have a million followers. And so you don't necessarily need a great personality, but you do need something enjoyable about your show. The show has to be enjoyable for some reason. And you got to be creative to think of, okay, how do I make this enjoyable now? Well, you gave us a lot to think about, and uh, we appreciate you coming on the show. Um, we are trying to wrap up the, the first half of the season six, so it's going to re- uh, play later on. But uh, we, you know, we get a, a, a thousand uh, prompts to bring people who are um, into marketing, and we all, and I have a friend who has a podcast too, and Cody that that you saw on on one of our shows, and we always feel like. Um, we don't know how to incorporate marketing into what we do. Would you call what you do a form of marketing or would you call it more of a sense of thinking and a way of uh, overcoming the, the big giants out there? Both, both. Everyone has to be a marketer. There's some truth to that, that book that said everything is sales. There's a lot of sales in everything, right? And you don't have to be salesy. You don't have to be slimy. You don't have to be a slimy salesperson all the time, but, but everything is marketing and everything is branding. I, I think, I think anyone younger than me, millennials and younger, knows this uh, explicitly that it's all about your social media and your brand. Right? They've been building a brand since they were two. You know, I don't know what that does to the human psyche. Probably not good things. But they all know about branding and marketing. And so, yeah, you've got to market yourself. You've got to brand yourself. You've got to get out there. Um, it's, it's about a good psychological balance of not having too poor self-esteem based on social media. Uh, and likes. Uh, you got to like yourself first. If you like yourself, then all the likes in the world don't matter. Uh, but if you don't like yourself, then that's a problem. So yeah, but otherwise, definitely there's marketing involved in everything you do. I just gave some marketing tips. We talked about the deepest philosophy today and some marketing tips for, for making your own podcast. And that's, that's human life, right? That's, we got to eat, we got we to make money, but at the same time, we can't forget the deep philosophy either. That's kind of half the reason why we're in this problem is because we forgot the deep philosophy of the last century and we're just trying to make money and you see what happens. It bites us in the ass. Well, thanks again. And uh, uh, I hope uh, Canada keeps uh, leading the way. I guess the little brother will teach the, the older brother how to get on track and we, we'll see what happens in the next few months. But uh, we, we always appreciate people coming and, and sharing the perspective. Uh, thank you very much, David. I appreciate it. Come back Take anytime. Care. Appreciate it.